I invite you to turn in your Bibles now for the reading of God's Word to the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. I'll read to the end of the chapter. We'll be looking at only a few verses in this portion of Scripture, particularly verses 19 to 24. But to get some of the context, I'll begin reading at verse 12. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1,164. Let us now hear God's word. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened, <clears throat> excuse me, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will, re I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. As far as the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Let's ask the Lord's blessing in the time of prayer. Gracious God and Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That you would teach us, O oh Lord, what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain. We thank you for this word. We thank you that your word brings comfort to the comfortless, hope to the hopeless, and joy to those who mourn. We pray, O oh Lord, that in living and in dying, our lives will be filled with Christ and his spirit. That our lives 
would find comfort and hope in life and in death, in body and soul, and our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Congregation of Christ, to live and to die. To live, Christ, to die, gain. For the Christian, it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the Christian. Life or death cannot separate you, Christian, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither death nor life can separate you, divorce you, divide you from him. Because through faith in Christ you have been so united with him that no one can dissolve that relationship. No one can separate you from the love of your Father in heaven. No one not even Satan. Though he seeks to devour and destroy, he's got nothing on you, child of God. Nothing on you. Nothing can separate you from him because you are united to the Lord Jesus. And how rich, how deep is his love for you. The Apostle Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. And it's within a context here. Paul is in prison. This is a prison epistle. Paul knows suffering for the gospel. He knows pain. He knows what it likes to suffer for Jesus. And yet, first of all, Paul here in verses 19 and following, we see, first of all, Paul's confidence, the apostle's confidence. Despite the circumstances, despite the circumstances, he has confidence. He knows to whom he belongs. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, or that I will not feel shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He has confidence that he will be delivered. Delivered from what? What will he be delivered from? There are some interpreters that will say it's very possible that this deliverance looks to the future, his, his future deliverance of his soul. Others will say deliverance from being in prison, that he'll be released, delivered from that. It seems, as the context shows us that he is confident that he'll be delivered from prison. Paul is confident that through the prayers of the saints 
and the support or help of the Spirit of Christ, he will be delivered. In fact, look with me at verses 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. He has confidence. Where does he get this confidence? He gets this confidence from the Lord. But notice here that the apostle receives human help and divine help. He has confidence. Look, through the prayers of the saints. For I know that through your prayer, Christian, and through the prayers of the saints, and by the Spirit and help of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Such confidence produced an eager expectation in Paul and a future hope that he will feel no shame. He has no shame. He has no shame and feels no shame in his position as a prisoner for the Lord Jesus Christ. He will feel no shame if he is released, whether in prison, whether released, whether in life or by death. He feels no shame because he is confident in his Lord. He knows to whom he belongs. Isn't this the confidence of the Christian? The confidence of the Christian? We know to whom we belong. He will not be ashamed, but boldly and courageously know that Christ will be honored in his body. Did you read that? He draws attention away from himself and he draws it unto Christ. He has a confidence that he will be delivered. He has an eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, a confidence and a courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body that is passive. Christ will be honored in his body. The word body there can also be translated person. In his person, he will be honored. I like the word magnified, exalted. Christ will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death. Do you have a confidence that the Lord will be magnified in your person, whether by life or by death? As you put your confidence not in your own flesh, not in your own will, but put your confidence in Christ. Because later on, look with me at chapter 3, verse 1 and following, where Paul puts his confidence 
in Christ and not in his status in society or his status as a Pharisee or as in, own, in his own flesh. He says at verse 1 of chapter 3 and following, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's actually a reference that could have been used this morning. (laughs) Where we are the true Israel of God. For we are the true circumcision. A circumcision not made by hands, but by the Spirit of God in our hearts. And Paul says he puts no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed I count everything as lost. Because of the surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. Trash. In order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. That comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul wanted nothing more than to know Christ and him crucified and risen. He wanted his life so immersed in Christ that Christ is his all in all. Is Christ your confidence this morning, or this evening rather? What do you base your confidence upon? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Because Christ and knowing Christ is worth more than we can ever think or imagine. The apostles' confidence. Secondly, the apostles' comfort. He says at verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live Christ. To live is Christ. His life is so united to Christ, and because of this, his life is hidden with Christ. He is in Christ and therefore belongs to him. Paul will say elsewhere, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For to live is Christ, friends. 
For I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So that in my living, Christ is magnified, honored, and praised. In my person, in my thinking, in my believing, in my living, in my suffering, in my mourning, in my sorrow, in my pain, in my hurts, in all of it. In all of it, Christ will be honored in my person, body and soul, body and soul. To live as Christ is not something exclusively for the apostle. This is something that, or thinking that this is only for the apostle here. No, this is for us. This is our comfort too. This is for us. That this truth applies to every believer. Christ dwells in me and has made his home in me by his spirit. And the implications and application of his death and resurrection means that in our living, our lives conform to his life. Our lives conform to his to live as Christ, then he says to die is gain. He takes great comfort that in dying there is gain. Isn't death an enemy? Isn't death an enemy? Who enjoys going to a funeral? Who enjoys seeing death? Indeed, death is the last enemy that will be vanquished in the last day. But for the Christian, death is gain because death is a doorway to life eternal. Death is a doorway from time to eternity. Every person dies as a result of the fall of man, but every man or woman or child in Christ has been saved of the consequences of life after death, eternal death in hell. For the Christian to die is gain because this is the doorway to the next life, into the presence of Almighty God, standing before the Lamb, falling before the Lamb, I should say, and seeing the Lord Jesus and worshiping him before the throne. Therefore, death's sting for the Christian no longer has any power. As one commentator said, death is like a hornet without its stinger. And so though death is the last enemy for the Christian upon death, we can say it is well with my soul because to whom we belong. Christ defeated death. He defeated it. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things 
that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that is, the people of faith. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help our being tempted. Christ Jesus came into the world to destroy the power of death over his people. Furthermore, to die is to pass from this present evil age of sin and rebellion and enter into the holy, heavenly Jerusalem. We will be with Christ forever and will know sin no more. And this is where the Catechism, Lord's Day 16, question and answer 42, is important. The question asks, since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? The answer, our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and entering into eternal life. Can you imagine a world, a life of knowing sin no more? I can't even comprehend that. Honestly, when I reflect upon it, <laughs> I feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, the thing that I want to do, I do not do, this internal battle within his soul of wanting to do what is right, but he, does, he doesn't do it. But death is gain in that sense. Yes, we enter into eternal life. Yes, we are dying to sin. We sin no more. Yes, we are in Christ's presence. Yes, we will see him face to face. And yes, we will know sin no more. God sent his son to be our merciful and faithful high priest to make atonement, to sacrifice for our sins, so that in death we do not pay the penalty of our sin because he paid for it. Jesus died the death that we deserve. So then the death that we experience is not a death that leads to eternal condemnation, but a death that leads to eternal life, a dying that leads to life. And that is how life is gained. And whether in living or in dying, Christ will be magnified. He will be exalted. He will be honored in his people. Lastly, the apostles' conflict. Verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. There's an internal conflict in his spirit, but this is not to be taken negatively. Again, it's a win-win for the Christian. 
Paul is hard-pressed between the two to live in the physical body on this side of glory and continue in the gospel ministry fruitfully, faithfully, doing it to the Lord or leave the body or die and be with Christ for to be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. If he remains in the flesh, if he remains in his physical body, he's saying that's okay. He's okay with it because to live is Christ. No one can separate him from God's love in Christ. By grace through faith, he has been made righteous before God. He has known the righteousness of Christ through faith. He knows it. He has been made righteous. He has the power of Christ in him, the spirit of Christ dwelling in him. He will fulfill his calling to be a minister to the Gentiles, calling people everywhere to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For Paul, it is a win to live in the flesh because of those truths and because of who he is in Christ. For Paul, it is a win to give body and soul in service to Jesus so that his, so Christ would be honored and magnified. This conflict in Paul's spirit is very revealing because we might think that after so many beatings, so many imprisonments, so many trials, so many lashings, all those things that Paul suffered, you would think that Paul would say, Lord, get me out of here. Take me home. Does he do that? Does he do that? Do you see Paul's love for the church? For the sheep whom Christ died for? He says to live in the flesh will be okay because he belongs to Christ and he loves the sheep. It means faithful labor for him. I think that's very important for us to take away from this. I think it's very important for us to take away the fact that on this side of glory, we have work to do. We have work to do. Christ calls us to be salt and light, to be his witnesses. And what a joy it is to minister to one another, to admonish one another, to care for one another, encourage one another. In the body, we live to exalt the Lord Jesus serving him in his kingdom. We are serving him. Life in the body isn't a waiting period until we get to heaven. We twiddle our thumbs in the meantime. No, it's time we put our hand to the plow by the power of Christ and his spirit and get to the business of doing the work of ministry. See, we're the work he's called me, us to. Paul loved the church of Jesus Christ. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
He knows that the gospel ministry must go forth, and he has the revelation of Christ to bring to them. Paul then says that it is far better, however, to depart from the flesh or physical body because this means he will be with Christ in eternity. This eternal conflict, this internal conflict, not a negative conflict, positively, because it's a win-win. Paul's deepest desire is to be with the Lord, to be with Christ in the heavenly places and behold his glory and greatness and worship the Lord who is seated on the throne. We have these two in another passage of scripture in Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to what Paul says in verses 6 to 10. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please God. We make it our aim, whether living or dying, what is your aim, Christian? To please Jesus. Paul continues, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so we are held accountable in what we do with the gifts that God has bestowed upon us to serve him in his kingdom in living. Is Christ being magnified in your life? It's the aim of the Christian, whether in life or in death, to please the Lord who gave himself for us. For indeed, it was the love of Christ that compelled Paul and compels Christians to live and die in a way that magnifies the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You've been around a loved one on their deathbed. You've seen this. You've experienced it. Someone who dies in the comfort of the gospel. Someone in living and now in dying, Christ is being magnified. When the one who is about to pass on from time to eternity and enter Christ's presence sings hymns to their Savior, trusts in Christ, longs and awaits to see Jesus upon death, you can see and know the difference. someone that was very near and dear to me many years ago I died and I was talking to someone who was with this person and she was telling me what was going on and how he doesn't have much time left and I asked her if I can speak to him, and she said no. And I can hear this person in the background say, I don't want to die. 
I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I can literally hear him scream it. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And you sit there on the other end of the phone and it's breaking your heart because you don't, you know, he doesn't know the Lord. I say that, but I don't know his heart. The apostles' confidence, comfort, and conflict are not uncommon to believers in Christ, are they? His confidence, his comfort, and this inner conflict exists in his people. To be sure, the apostles' context and calling are different, but we maintain a similar confidence, comfort, and conflict in our Christian walk, saying with Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. In a few moments, we're going to sing in Christ alone, which I think beautifully captures a lot of what's said here. Listen to the last two stanzas of In Christ Alone. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in what congregation? Death. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He will be magnified in his people. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Stand in the power of Christ. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are in awe of your sovereign mercy towards us. We are thankful that you do not count our sins against us. We are thankful, O oh Lord, that you have made us righteous through faith in Christ. We are thankful, O oh Lord, that there's an eternal inheritance that shall never perish nor fade away, waiting for us in the heavenly places. We are thankful, O Lord, that on this side of glory we stand in the power of Christ, that Christ dwells in us, and that our lives are hidden in Him, and that in His death we died with Him. When He was buried, our sins were buried with Him. When He rose from the dead, we were raised to new life with Him. Oh, Father, we thank You that in Christ we have our all in all. And so we confess and believe that Jesus Christ is our only true Lord and Savior. And that there is no other. 
And if there is anyone here who is trusting in any other God or gods or in themselves or in their material possessions or in any other thing other than the one true God and faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, that by Your power and Spirit, You would draw them to confess their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, that they too may say to live as Christ and to die as gain. That they too may say, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong in body and soul to my, life, my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit in abundance upon this congregation, upon us as a church, that many would draw near to you through Christ, and that your word would work powerfully among your people, sanctifying us, and that many would be converted. Oh, Lord God, we pray for conversion of souls. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.